Welcome to the Perfume Room. That is the first time I am saying that in 2023, and oh my God, it feels good. I hope you guys have had some nice time off. I hope your years are off to a good start. We had a nice little hiatus these past few weeks, but I am so happy to be back. We have such an incredible guest list lined up for 2023, and it all starts right here, right now. To kick off the new year, I thought it'd be fun to share with you guys some of the top sniffs from when you heard from me last because I have smelled so many fragrances in the last few weeks and I have a few highlights that have risen to the top that you must know. So one, and I have to say, I can't remember if I talked about this before our little break or not, but I cannot stop wearing My Day from La Perla. It is the perfect aldehydic orris scent I Love it. So yes, you heard that right. It's an aldehydic orus. When I first sprayed it, immediately I'm like, okay, Frederick Mall, Iris Poudre, I hear you, I see you, I smell you. But this one is different because of that orus note. Yes, there is that floral iris at the opening, but very quickly you get that waxy, creamy, earthy orus that somehow is faceted in such a luminous way because of the aldehydes and the musk in this fragrance. It is absolutely beautiful. There is a warm sweet, slightly indolic floral heart, and I just cannot stop wearing this scent. Not to mention the bottle is, I think, my like dream fantasy bottle. You know I love a ball cap, and it is a purple ball cap with a seafoam green jade-colored bottle. I am obsessed. Need to add full bottle to my collection immediately. Okay, let me very quickly run through a few others. So next up, we have our side, formerly known as Aspen Apothecary. You remember Kato was a guest on the pod, I think. If my memory serves me correctly, she was episode eight. Anyway, they have rebranded to our side and they just released a new fragrance called Nostalgia and I am absolutely obsessed. In 2023, I want to see a return of maximalist florals. I want to see more Giorgios. I want to see more carnal flowers. I want to see more fracas of the world. And I feel like nostalgia is the perfect leap into that genre. It is a nod to those indolic florals. It has a huge jasmine note. It has a huge langling note, but it is complemented by this big, juicy, fresh grapefruit and sort of green notes with violet leaf. And I just find it to be somehow a very sort of palatable nod to indolic florals of the past. I am absolutely obsessed. Fleur Tangerine Boy. Okay, this is my favorite Fleur scent. I will go on record as saying that I have been lucky enough to receive all of the new releases in the past year. You know I love Lost Cause as well. I feel like also on a side note, justice for Lost Cause because people don't really talk about that one and it is excellent. But Tangerine Boy easy to write off. Okay. You spray it on a piece of paper, you spray it on blotter, you smell it. You're like, okay, great. A musky, fresh, tangerine, juicy citrus scent. Nice. I've smelled it before. Moving on. No, you need to test this on skin. And I made that mistake. I smelled it on blotter. That's exactly what I thought I was smelling. A sort of citrusy, fresh tangerine that I liked, didn't love. And in fact, I regifted it to my mother who loved it, sprayed it everywhere. And then we were eating dinner and I was like, seduced by my mom. I was like, why do you smell so sexy? Like, it's so good. There's this like sort of, I'm saying masculine in the sense of like traditionally masculine marketed fragrances, that sort of muskiness that you might get from like a Blue de Chanel or a Creed Aventus Cologne, that, that, that specific musky note is in Tangerine Boy, but it's also equal parts fresh citrus. It's so beautiful, so easy to wear. I'm calling it an F-boy light scent. I'm saying, I feel like this is like, and I said this on on my Instagram, but if Johnny Depp is the face of Dior Sauvage, I feel like Tangerine Boy would be like Timothy Chalamet. Like it's sort of like soft boy. And right now my biggest dilemma is that both my boyfriend and I love this scent equally and he doesn't like wearing the same fragrance as me at the same time as me. So we're sort of, you know, getting into some quarrels over who gets to wear it when. And lastly, an upcoming guest on Perfume Room is Dawn Spencer Horowitz. I'm so excited to speak with her and she was kind enough to send me samples of so many of her fragrances and I'm still working my way through them, but there are a few that I will quickly share that have risen to the top. You could have guessed it, Loris. It is an Oris perfection scent, okay? Perfect, perfect lipstick scent, so realistic. I think it's the most photorealistic lipstick scent I have smelled since Frederick Malle's Lipstick Rose. I absolutely love it. 
Special Formula X. This is one that I've heard about for a while. It's been on my radar, and I'm going to put it in that same sort of skin scent genre as Juliet Has a Gun, Not a Perfume, Namat Amber, Essential Faith Oil, Riddle Oil. If you like any of these scents, Special Formula X is just absolutely beautiful to wear as a base sort of like layering scent or just alone if you want a sort of like minimal but sheer pretty skin scent type of smell. And lastly, the absinthe drinkers was one that Dawn threw in that I did not even know I needed to try until I tried it. And the reason it is so special is because I'm going to describe this as a sort of milky lactonic absinthe scent, which I did not know existed. Somehow it feels like a lactonic wormwood. It is fluffy, it is pillowy, but you still get that sort of heady green wormwood smell. And I am just loving it. Okay, let's get to our guest. I am so excited. This is our first guest of 2023, and for good reason, because we had such an amazing conversation. Today, I am joined by the founder and perfumer of Chronotope Perfumes, Carter Weeks Maddox. Carter received his MA in critical theory from Texas State University in 2012, and he wrote his thesis there on manifestations of the chronotope within women's post-war life writing. I feel like chronotope, his perfume collection, is the olfactive dissertation of all of his studies and all of his work. His fragrances prove that you can in fact scent space and time. And while the marketing behind some of them is challenging and complicated and might make you actually question if you even want to smell like some of the descriptions behind these scents, they are beautifully crafted, nuanced, beautiful, and just really intricate and detailed. We discuss everything from sneaking into our parents' and grandparents' bathrooms as kids and creating potions. If you were a child who made scented potions, congrats, you now are a fraghead. We also discuss the idea of scenting and reconstructing, and I guess in some ways profiting, off your traumas by bottling them into scents. The inspiration behind both of Carter's collections and the idea of fragrance as a performance art and perfumers as performance artists. It is my pleasure to bring you Carter Weeks Maddox. Carter, welcome to the perfume room. How are you doing today? I'm fine, yeah. It's been quite a day. I've been filling bottles um, and I woke up late. So, um, yeah. What is late for you? Uh, Late for me is like anymore about, I have weird hours. So sometimes late for me can be 11, other times it can be nine. Other times it can be three. Like I, since I started working for myself, I don't, I don't really keep consistent sleep hours. So yeah, right. it's just like whatever, whatever you were intending to wake up at, whether that was six a.m. or nine a.m. Yes, yeah. And so today it was today it was about eight thirty, but it's okay. Okay. <laughs> we always start the pod with the first question: What are you wearing today, fragrance wise? Uh, today I pulled out almost every not almost every but quite a few perfumes and right before we started recording I threw on a couple sprays of uh uh Jolie Madame a vintage Mm. of it actually yeah it's one of my favorites I don't know that one can you tell me about it it smells a lot like a proto Halston um -hmm. if, if you've smelled Halston most people have uh it uh but it but it has like this really um, it's one of Germain Cellier's uh, perfumes, and I think that she just was really tapped into like the mid-century woman's rage. Um, and so it has this very uh, kind of, it's not bitter galbanum, but it's just sort of like a, it's almost too much galbanum. Um, not as much as like what was in her other perfume called Vent Vert, um, but it still is just, there's there's some contempt behind it. There's some real, some real anger in it, um, or at least frustration. Um but it's really, really beautiful. It's got a really gorgeous moss note um, that I love a lot. And it reminds me a lot of like what maybe Bernard Champ would have been smelling whenever he made Halston. Mm. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. And it's also interesting that you're talking about what you imagine a mid-century woman's rage would smell like, because I feel like that has also inspired a lot of your work yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Or rage and a mid-century women. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so they go hand in hand. Uh, so, well, it's interesting too because you were mentioning like that there's like galbanum in there that you feel like is full of rage. And one thing that I do want to get to in a little is mm-hmm. this: uh, you've done this beautiful thing in your fragrances where you found notes that seem to perfectly capture 
emotions. And sometimes it's something that's supposed to mimic an, you know, an actual object, but oftentimes you're like, okay, this, this melancholy, this melancholy feeling or this rage or this spite translates to this note. And that's something that I I'm excited to get into. Cool. But first, <laughs> do you have a signature? I feel like it's hard to ask someone if they have a signature scent. Is there a, a scent profile or or signature scent that you feel you gravitate towards? It depends on when you would have asked me that because some days I'll say yes, and then other days I would probably just tell you hell no. Um, I feel like anymore, honestly, uh, and this sound, this I hate saying this. It sounds like too like into myself maybe, but. Anymore, I probably wear my perfume intravenous more than anything. Um, mm -hmm. I wear intravenous all the time. Um, I had always wanted a solid hyacinth perfume. And if there's like one perfume that I've made, so, well, actually there's two, but if there, like, if there's one that I really made, like just for me and like what I wanted to do, it was really that perfume. Um, mm -hmm. But other than that, I wore Halston for most of my life um, because my, my mother wore Halston. And so it was always on me as a child. Um, and as I grew up, like I, my, my whole family wore perfume, um, but nobody, I, I was never, I would steal sprays of like my grandmother's aromatics elixir and walk around Christmas, you know, with right, adults right. picking me up, you know, and they like, you're the only boy smelling like, you know, aromatics elixir in East Texas, but nobody ever told me that that was something I shouldn't do. And so I never, mm -hmm. I've never had the the issue with like gender and perfume that I think a lot of people have just because it was never mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. and so uh, it was never weird to me to wear my mom's perfume. Um, so probably Halston, um, if you were just going by like, which perfume have I worn most throughout my life? Well, thinking about, um, baby you and aromatics elixir is a beautiful image. And I'm curious, <laughs> was that really more of like a, like a fun, like you were saying like Christmas time or like it rubbing off on you from other people? Or were you like a kid walking around fully in aromatics elixir? Yeah, I was a kid walking around fully in aromatics elixir. Um, you know how, whenever you're a kid, like. Um, and I think maybe this is a sign of like, you're going to end up working in something like perfume, but like you're a kid and you're at grandma's house and you, you know, go into her bathroom and like make a potion with like all, of, you mm -hmm. know, like there's the denture. I, I ruined yeah. so many of my mom's beauty products yes. by like mixing yes. dishwasher soap and like Pond's cold cream and whatever that. Yes. Know. And then you don't know what to do with it. So you just like get embarrassed and like throw it in the toilet or whatever. Yes. Um, yeah. So it was, it was that really, um, it was yeah. like making a potion, but there was always a scented component to it that where I would like mm -hmm. spray, you know, either my, or pour some of my grandfather's brute in it or like my, my grandmother's yeah. aromatics and it would have never... sent the potion. Yeah. And then if you're scenting your potion, you might as well scent yourself. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, but, but really like, so yeah, yeah. Um, my parents both were fragrance, um, and they never left the house without it. Um, it's funny because they don't really wear anything anymore until I started until I started doing this, and now they wear my stuff. Um, but then my grandparents like wouldn't let me out of the house without any. Um, mm -hmm. And so yeah, it was just always on me. And I mean, you chose from what was available, and I didn't. Sometimes I chose Aramis. Um, I never really liked my grandfather's obsession, but I loved the other grandfather's brute. Um, I don't like that, like, artificial civet that Obsession uses. Yeah. 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 Um, I yeah. do. I, I like the perfume on my grandfather because it's his smell. But, um, yeah, yeah. I was just, it's kind of, we. here were your options. You know, you could have white diamonds today or you could have aromatics. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because my, my grandmother wore, and I've talked about this before, but my grandmother, she wore many perfumes. But I feel like the closest thing she had to a signature was Giorgio. And mm. then her partner mm. wore Aramis and mm -hmm. there was something and it's so it's so interesting when I smell them as an adult because I don't know if my nose is deceiving me based on how I remember them as a kid and I can't get that association out but both Aramis and Giorgio to me when I was a kid smelled like scented pennies like they just had this like yeah. like like I just feel like Aramis is like a sort of like uh, a sort of like mossy like woody penny and mm -hmm. then Giorgio is like a tuberose penny yeah. and I just like I could never get that association out of my head I'm curious if yeah I, I, I don't know do you ever smell something and you, you yes. just are stuck with it however you knew it or yeah totally um yeah yeah and I mean like formulas change right so my dad right. my dad wore the green um polo um, whenever I was growing mm -hmm. up and I smell it and it just doesn't even seem recognizable to me anymore, which is sad. But, and, right. but like if I bought, a, I bought a vintage of it and the vintage smells just like what I remember. 
Um, but I I no longer like to smell polo on people because even up until I was in college, I was still just smelling polo on people. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that, I think the reformulation is part of that, but then also just like, it's not right because it's not on my dad. Yeah. You know? Right. It's like Like, made for, well, so what are your parents wearing from, from your collection? You were mentioning that that's what they wear now. Yeah. Um, my dad, I think he, I think he kind of fibs about it, but I think just to be nice, he says that he does, but he does one of the, um, Buen Camino does, um, mention him in the story for the perfume. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think he thinks that's sweet and I think it's sweet. Um, and so Mm -hmm. I think he does wear that one sometimes. I know, I know that he has like sprayed on a a spray of it, like right before I show up before, because I smell Mm -hmm. like the opening of it. And I'm just like, I know you weren't wearing that, but I'm not going to say that. You're like, you put this on as I rang the door. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like you remember to do that right before I walked in, but I still think like the thought is so, so sweet, you know? Um, but then Mm -hmm. my mom really likes intravenous. Um, and I kind of, I'm not, that doesn't surprise me. Um, but then mm-hmm. like my brother, for example, he loves Nana's. So he's, mm. he's got a bottle of Nana's, um, like just for him. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> otherwise it's like, everybody's just wearing my mom's, but, uh, yeah, he really likes Nana's and I'm just like, you're wearing a Ylang Ylang. <laughs> like, yeah. I love that for your brother. <laughs> a Ylang like Champaka. Okay, sure. Yeah. Go for it, boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that like in line with his, uh, scent profile typically? No, no. Um, cause I mean, beyond like the, you know, the classic things that I've mentioned so far, like mm-hmm. I definitely was wearing like, you know, curves and Adidas moves and all that kind of bullshit growing up too, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, As you do. yeah. And so does he. And like, honestly, I still like, I still have a thing of Adidas moves like every now and then that's what I want. And so I, that's yeah. more what I would associate with him. I think he also mm-hmm. wore, um, while we were growing up, he also wore Chrome, I believe. Okay. Which yeah. like, please wear Nana's over chrome yeah please smell yeah. like a, nana's over chrome every day smell like a banana runt you know that's <laughs> yeah that's my oh, dream i can't believe i haven't tried nana's because that's like i love i love the synthetic banana smell oh. um a lot of people complain about like if it doesn't feel like a natural banana but i'm mm-hmm. like i want to smell like a banana runt like banana laffy taffy any day of the week oh yeah I, i'm here for it oh so. yeah no i would never want to smell like a real banana yeah. Yeah. Like, no. I, I like that synthetic yeah. smell. Well, it's also interesting, like, when you think about how certain notes in in flavor, and I guess it translates to fragrance as well, but certain synthetic notes have become the, the way that we associate, like, artificial watermelon is a very specific smell that is not the same as watermelon, but if you smelled perfume that was, like, the true, like, tried and true, this is exactly what a natural watermelon smells like, you might feel disappointed because you were expecting that. Like, I, I'm curious who sets the tone for, like, we are going to now set the universal standard that this is what artificial watermelon smells mm-hmm. like, and anything outside of this is not watermelon when it was fake to begin with. Yeah, yeah. No, or even, like, chocolate and vanilla. Like, people don't know what vanilla yeah. tastes like anymore, and chocolate mostly tastes like vanilla, <laughs> you know, so. This is mine, Like <laughs> I should take an edible for this conversation. I know. I have some. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that, that all fascinates me too. And like the more that I got into like making perfume, the more that just like, it just made my brain go off. And I was like, I do not want to work at a marketing firm anymore. I want to make perfume that way I can think about this stuff all the time. Wow. Okay. Well, we are about to get into that entire journey for you. Yeah. But the final question I always ask in the beginning is, um, do you have any, and I'm sure you have many, but what are some of your, or what is your biggest fragrance, hot take or controversial opinion? Hmm. That there is a scent culture in the Americas pre-colonization and that whenever we hear that the Americas don't have a scent culture, that what we're hearing is a product of French colonialism um, that really contributes to the erasure of the history of this place um, and Mm -hmm. tries to kind of like gloss over the fact that the, you know, like the fact that we get vanilla for perfume from Madagascar, like that's a French colony. It came from Mexico mm-hmm. or Central America. You know, tuberose is Mexican. Mm-hmm. Tobacco was in heavy use by the people here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, all those materials are very essential to French perfumery. Um, mm-hmm. And and that basically, you know, as, as the industry grew, it was sort of just wrangled by the French, but not necessarily, but it's not necessarily like a French thing, but we don't ever really extend it beyond Europe to say like, no, tuberose is an American product. Um, right. Yeah. Or not American, pre-American, you know, but it comes right, from the he- Americas. Yes. It, right. com- it comes from the Yucatan. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, like right. the Olmec were, were growing it. Um, 
And so I think right. that'd probably be the hottest take, you know, um, the first American. But it's always been global, right? Yeah, like... it's, it's always been global, basically. And yeah, just like the first the first, you know, colonial um, perfumery in the in what we now call the U.S. was founded 50 years before Marie Antoinette got her head chopped off. Like mm -hmm. that, that alone should tell you that like, no, there has been, you know, Estee Lauder lied and there has been a scent culture here for a long, long time. Um, and a lot right. of, and a lot of it was really driven by, you know, formerly enslaved people from the Caribbean and into the 1900s, it was still being, um, driven by mostly black people. So it's not a white industry historically. Right. And it's also like the whole French thing is just kind of strange. It, it's just weird. It's weird that it became a national myth. And I don't know how hot of a take that is, but I never hear people talk about that. And as yeah. long as, you know, a word like decolonial is going to be used within this field, then like, what does that mean? Um, right. Because I feel like it gets used as a buzzword that doesn't actually mean anything at all. Um, and I still mm -hmm. haven't even talked about decolonialism, which would be like, if we were going to return those materials, you know, to their rightful places, then we should probably ask the people there, like, do you even want to do this? And if they said no, then maybe right. we'd lose the rights of the material. What about, so yeah, what are your thoughts on like who is doing it right now? What is the way to pay proper homage to the provenance of certain ingredients? And, mm. um, and, and do you think that in certain places, maybe they were originally exploited for a certain raw material, but now they found a way to do it sustainably? Like, how do you feel about all of that? I guess that's a very loaded question. But. Yeah, no. And I mean, I also like, I'm not an expert. So the more that I've learned though, the more like I'm surprised at how sustainable perfumery really is. Um, you know, we, mm -hmm. uh, it uses a lot of the refuse of other industries, um, like wood pulp to get vanilla in, um, or like, Think about how many different things um, we make out of patchouli leaves. Like it's just a patchouli mm -hmm. leaf, but there's like mm -hmm. there's the steam distillation, the molecular distillation. Um, from there, we can salinate it, then we can rinse the salination off, and there's just all these different materials all the way down the line that we can create out of these things. Um, and we use a lot of the waste from other industries um, in order to do so. So it actually is pretty sustainable, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that it has no environmental impact or that like galaxolide isn't getting stuck into the fish's bodies in the water. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really shocked more, the more I learn about that, that it, it, mm -hmm. it has less of a um, footprint than we might think, um, or especially than like mm -hmm. a, a green washer might try to make you think. Um, right where when it comes to like are we treating people right yet i don't think so because a we're not crediting like where these things are from for a lot of the a lot of the time um and b mm -hmm. we still pay farmers like shit um and i really right. i know that i know that some companies are trying to work on that you know but as long as third parties are being involved and you have auctioneers and you know people middlemen in between like the grower and the end consumer then there's a lot which is the perfumer um, or the oil house that's, you know, blending the materials and right. making, yeah. Um, then, then it, you can't say that you're paying them as well as they could be, but I can think of one company in the world that is really doing that right. And that would be the spice company called Diaspora Co. Um, okay. yeah. And they not only have some of the best spices I've ever tasted in my life, but they're all single origin and they publish how much they pay their farmers. And it is consistently wow. like four to, I think even like 24 times what farmers make otherwise. Um, mm -hmm. and it's run by a young person. Um, she's younger than me. I think she's maybe 28, 29, 30, um, mm -hmm. uh, who has family in India and grew up between India and the U S and she just built her whole entire supply chain for herself and her brand. And so it can be done. It wow. just, it's yeah. going outside those normal avenues to do it. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying, you know, screw Givadon or anything, but, um, Actually, I really want those places to stay there because I need them, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, like I really need their I need, I need their innovation that they're doing. Um, but I don't know enough about perfumery to know that that's and I know for a fact that that's not happening here. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I cannot just go buy some. I'd have to buy the whole field and I can't do that. Right. Yeah. Right. And also as an independent perfumer, it's so costly to build an organ out and to to yeah. have all those materials at at your disposal. So I'm curious, where do you source, um, your materials from and how, how many, what, how many are synthetic and how many are, um, naturals? Um, I, it's funny. I've, I've, I mentioned right whenever I launched how much I liked working with synthetics because I really do love working with synthetics, but a lot of my perfumes are very heavily natural. And I just released kind of to like hammer that point home. I just released my first all natural. Um, mm -hmm. and it's, a, it's a re, 
it's like a reformulation of Buen Camino, um, which is the perfume that's paid for my life for the past several years now. Um, thank you, Buen Camino. Uh, yeah, thank, this, thank you, Buen for Camino. For this meal on my yes. table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you, um, Old Catholic Pilgrimage and me for going on it when I was 23. <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, I'm still profiting off of that thing. <laughs> it hurt, but it was Profit worth it. Profit off your trauma. That is the way. <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, I, I, I sourced from uh, several... Um, Small, smaller companies, um, some of which are owned by um, some of the bigger boys um, in the industry um, that are based out of the U.S. And then a couple out of there's one out of Italy. um, And then I managed to just kind of randomly make a personal connection um, with a person who knows people. (laughs) Um, And that's that one is kind of the the more like like that's the one I'll keep secret. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, but just um, you know, to find like to find rare materials, sometimes it does take just knowing somebody who's got access to a lot of magnolia trees, you know, mm-hmm. um, or like somebody who knows like, oh, well, I know this one guy who you know buys copal and and bulk um, to sell, you know, on wholesale, um, mm-hmm. and I can connect you with who he buys it from. Um, so that happened last year. And so it's kind of a mix, you know, um, a mix of like established, you know, businesses, small businesses, mostly like Eden Botanicals out of California. Um, mostly small businesses that stock perfume materials that I can use. So essential oils all the way to like perfumers apprentice, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. and my, my only fear with that is like when they either discontinue a material, you know, because a lot of times if they discontinue it, that doesn't mean it's actually discontinued. It just means that they ran out. Um, right. And I've, I've kind of started to try to shift away from that and go more toward like a bygone um, just so I can maintain, you know, make sure that I still have access to those things. Because um, whenever I was mm-hmm. starting out, I thought I was going to be lucky to sell to my mom. Um, yeah, my, my first day in business, like completely surprised me. And the fact that like, I keep having to make some of this stuff, like it's cool. Every time I send out a bottle, I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. Um, yeah, yeah. The whole journey has been really cool. How has that been starting a business and having to sort of market yourself and market your product and what's been most effective? Um, when I started, I had to started with the three, um, Buen Camino, Playa Linda and Spite. And they were all three about myself. Um, and I pretty quickly realized, like, I do not want to talk about me this much. Um, and so, like, like stopping that was, like, like I, I couldn't get that done fast enough. Um, mostly mm-hmm. just because, like, I don't think I'm that interesting. Um, <laughs> I would beg to differ, and I think many people listening would as well. <laughs> so, but it's that, and also, uh, maybe it's just that I don't think that the, that the, the stories that those three tell or that Buen Camino is actually pretty interesting, but the other two, like, they're just kind of like sad sap stories about like boyfriends or whatever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, um, even though spite has a much deeper meaning than that, but, um, but Mm -hmm. that does play into it. Um, the name itself, spite kind of came from there. And then I was like, no, I can't, I can't make a boyfriend or I can't make a boyfriend perfume. Like what the fuck? Like, you know, like just call the perfume, the name of your ex and just exactly. Yeah. Just be like, this is for you, you bastard. And it's just civet. It's just raw. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, just call it like Vonicura and just be like, like, yeah, it's a Bjork perfume Mm -hmm. about the divorce album. Yeah. Very niche. Very niche. Um, of course, but um, stopping that practice of like making them be about me was very pertinent. I had to get that done. That got done. That's been nice. Um, mm-hmm. just cause I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't talk about them all the time. Like it just felt so mm-hmm. insular and like, um, also kind of felt like the story, like the ones that are about my stories change, you know, whenever you put your story out there, it changes because other people retell mm-hmm. it and the telephone game happens. And so like, yes. and so like, I found myself even saying a couple times, like, yeah, I broke both feet whenever I did the Camino and I'm sorry, but you cannot walk 600 miles on two broken feet. Like, I did. Well, let's go back I for, broke for people one of listening. Them. Yeah. Okay. So what people don't know the Buen Camino. Oh, yeah, story. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I, I want to give a little background too for people listening. So your first collection was called Auto Theory Issues. Yeah. And it was three fragrances, as you just mentioned, the three that were, as you mentioned, inspired by personal aspects of your life. And it was your sort of foray into can a fragrance be autobiographical, right? Yeah, right, right. Um, and that was kind of an extension of what I studied in uh, my grad program. I went to Texas State um, 
and got my MA in either 2011 or 2012. I was way too young, but I still got it. Um, and I studied um, like women's life writing of mm -hmm. mostly like post-war, um, even though I really love like, like Virginia Woolf, for example. Um, mm -hmm. So she's sort of where like that love started. But then I realized like, oh, Audre Lorde exists, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I just sort of fell in love with that like, I got tired of reading fiction in my grad program and like Patty Smith published just kids. And then I took like a class where we read women's life writing and I was like, I'm never reading a man again. These are so much better. Mm -hmm. Like these books are so much better. And I, mm -hmm. I ended up enjoying like their writing about themselves and their lives than more than I did their fiction. Even like, I still like Virginia Woolf's fiction, but you don't get her being just like a straight up bitch the way you do like in her diaries, you know, because she's just like mm -hmm. letting it all mm -hmm. out there. Um, right. But then around the mid around the middle of the century, you had a woman like Diane DePrima who started just like trying to like screw with her readers and like just flat out lie in her life writing. Like, I'm going to call this a memoir, but like there's going to be a sex scene between me and Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg and, um, you know, <laughs> throw in every other beat and we're all going to be in the same room. And we're all just going to have this big orgy and, oh, I got poop in my hair. But like, yeah, that <laughs> happened. And then like 30 years later, she writes, a, she writes a letter that just says like, oh, yeah, I made all that up. And it's like, well, if you read it, like if you are a distinct, like an acute reader at all, like if you're paying any kind mm -hmm. of attention, you know, like, of course she made that up, you know, mm -hmm. but like people didn't catch on to that. And so they were surprised in the 90s whenever she said I made that up. Um, but that mm -hmm. kind of like playing with persona and playing with like... Um, you know, like I'm playing with like what it, what it is to be truthful in writing, you know, because I mean, all fiction is and has been, you know, historically is like the story of me, but I cross out I and I write somebody else's name. That's what you men, have another character. Yeah, yeah that's right. what that's what men have done to fiction. And so the way that women started writing about their lives and started doing it kind of in this like cheeky manner. Um, but then since like maybe the we'll start with Audre Lorde, even though it was happening before her, even. Um, particularly women of color would kind of integrate like theory in to their writing in very interesting ways. And I can think Kathy Acker is another one. Um, she's white, but um, Kathy Acker did it in the eighties. Um, and there wasn't really, so I wrote my, I wrote my thesis about just the use of the I, like the word I in, mm -hmm. in that era of women's life writing and how in the late nineties, early two thousands, as gay men started writing our memoirs um, mm -hmm. that they, that we were using I the exact same way. Um, and so it was like gay men appropriating women. And so that's what, that's what my thesis was about. And so whenever I went into perfumery, I was like, okay, this is the thing that I know the best. <laughs> um, cause mm -hmm. I, I wasn't, I wasn't really thinking anything beyond like, just make what you know, you know, there's a saying it when you take writing, um, as kind of a field of study, just write what you know. Um, and I was kind of thinking that same thing would blend over into perfumery. Um, and so Buen Camino is a perfume about an experience that I had whenever I walked. Um, as soon as I graduated from my grad degree, I like flew to Spain like the next day and started walking on an old, it's like an old Roman road, basically, that you begin in the south of France and you walk all the way across the country um, to the end of the country. It's called Finisterra. Um, and you stop at a town called Santiago de Compostela and you... Um, it, it was an old pilgrimage back in the day. Um, mm -hmm. And I did it mostly because I wanted to and because I could and because I love Spain um, and because I'm very privileged and I'm able to do that. Um, but I got I, I got unlucky in that whenever I got to the south of France, um, the very first day on that pilgrimage, when you start from there, you go up the Pyrenees in the morning and down the Pyrenees in the afternoon um, to get mm -hmm. into Spain. And it was raining like... Can I say motherfucker? It was raining like a motherfucker that day. Um, and I was an idiot and I had only ever, I had only brought tennis shoes for some reason. Like I thought I can do this without hiking. The official boots. shoes of the pilgrimage, right? Yeah. Yeah. I walked 600 miles in a, on a, what you know, do you walk 600 miles in? Like what is the right pilgrimage? Like hiking boots, like, like good hiking boots that like have ankle support. <laughs> yeah. Um, Guys, hello, it's Emma. Just giving you a little warning. If you get squeamish over like, you know, like body fluids, body infections, yada, 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 do yourself a favor and just fast forward these next two minutes of the episode because we do go into a little bit of graphic detail about some of Carter's bodily infections. 
but I, I like didn't do that and I rubbed some mean ass blisters into my feet on the very first day caught an amoeba um after doing that um that's like my biggest fear in life yeah um <laughs> was it like flesh eating are you do you have all no ten toes? N- I do have all ten toes um but some of my toenails didn't grow back the same way <laughs> wow. um but I got blood poisoning essentially um I can't so from the from the early onset of that like what I kind of jokingly call foot rot um it sort of over the next two weeks, it just made these blisters that were about the size of Bic lighters um, show up on my feet. Um, very specific reference and very helpful because, you know, I can visualize. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and the core of them are about like as big as like, they were about as big as like the fr- the top knuckle of your pinky finger. Um, so it, and those, that was on okay. my feet. That was on my feet. Um, and, oh, but God. about two weeks, it, I was still able to keep going for some reason. Um, mostly because with the blister on your foot, it kind of goes dead after a while every day. And if you don't look at it, like you're whatever, and everybody around you on this pilgrimage is getting blisters too. Um, Mm -hmm. people that have good shoes don't keep getting those same kind of blisters after about a week. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I was the only one with those, but the amoeba, you know, traveled through my body (laughs) and started wreaking havoc. And I was just getting, I was getting like anywhere there was any kind of scratch. Like even if I just like scratch myself, like an infection would Mm -hmm. start. Um, Oh God. Yeah. All, all of my fingernails and toenails fell out um, because the infection would attack them like in their beds. And so they would like slide off Um, or like so much stress on your feet going into the front of shoes, like, like Reese Witherspoon at the very beginning of wild where she loses her toenail. I saw that movie and I was like, I've been there. I know that. Oh my God. Yeah. So I went and you were in, you were living your own wild. Totally. Totally. Minus the heroin. Um, (laughs) um, but there was a lot of codeine. That's another reason I didn't feel the blisters so much was because in Spain, Mm -hmm. codeine is over the counter. And so I was just popping codeine tabs. They make them like, uh, Alka-Seltzer and I was throwing them in my, in my camelback. Um, yeah, so I, sh- I rolled up into this town. It's like the end of the pilgrimage. Um, my dad had to come because he was, there, like, all my family was really worried about me because I just kept withering away whenever we would FaceTime. Um, and I came back. When I came back, I was only weighing about 102 or 3 pounds. And when I went wow. there, I was, like, I'm not the biggest guy, but I still weighed, like, 135, 140. So I lost a ton of weight, Um my feet. I did break one foot um, running down a mountain because um, it was hailing. So, and, <laughs> so then you made a perfume inspired yeah. by this amazing yeah. experience. Yeah, it was honestly like a really it was a really healing experience for me. You would think that like getting so sick like that would not be that like you would look back on it and just think like that was terrible. But um, mm-hmm. it really helped me kind of like overcome a lot of like early life, like religious trauma that I had. Um, I had a mm-hmm. kind of abusive relationship at one point in college. Um, I kind of abusive, really abusive relationship at one point in college that it kind of damaged me and like hurting myself, like felt better, like as far as reclaiming like my own body. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. like really that, that really helped heal that was cause I was like, Oh yeah, no, I've hurt myself worse now, you know? And, mm-hmm. but I can also watch the healing process. Um, but yeah, like it was just, it was honestly just like an experience I would do again if I had to. Um, and whenever I've tried to, you know, I'm trained as a writer. Um, but whenever I've tried to write about it, it just, the words aren't there. Um, but somehow, mm-hmm. somehow the, the emotion and the feeling of it is there in scent. Um, mm-hmm. because what I put into that perfume or all the scents that I smelled on the way uh, as I was mm-hmm. on that walk, even kind of the structure of the perfume, um, like the walk itself is a fougere. Um, in the Pyrenees, like there are lavender fields. Um, and after you get out of the Pyrenees, you go into like the Spanish Meseta, like Meseta Norte, like there are hay fields. Um, you get closer to like Galicia and there's all of a sudden like labdanum, you know, like cystus labdanum plants. So like the, even if you just look at the physical trail, that's a fougere. Um, mm-hmm. But so I made one that just had a bunch of Band-Aid notes in it <laughs> because there were so many bandages involved. Um, it also has an orange blossom note in it that I don't actually mm-hmm. call out. Um, but I don't call that out in the notes list. But the orange blossom um, is there um, that I think it smells kind of grapey. Um, like it's methylanthranolate is what it is. But it smells grapey and codeine smells grapey to me because I'm from Texas. And, you know, that's what lean is um, like like codeine and and 
uh, grape Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> and so it really, it really is like a perfume of like all these, like, it's kind of a nutso perfume, but it's, um, but it is just smells that mean that to me. And so, yeah, that's what the first three were. Um, the other two have stories that are similar. Um, but yeah, then I was like, I can't make anything about myself anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, it almost feels like, uh, a sort of, um, olfactive dissertation, uh, of your life and of your studies in smelling these fragrances. And yeah. I think going back to what we were sort of talking about earlier that I said I would get back to how, you know, one thing I think you do so beautifully among many things is the idea of, of course, there are literal notes that you might use like lavender or hay to, to tell your stories. But when things are more representative or abstract, how do you, you know, like I know Intravenous, for example, um, was an homage to, uh, I was reading this about someone going through cancer, right? Yeah. Or- yeah. Um, lymphoma. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so Chronotope, the name of the brand, um, I actually wrote my master's thesis about specifically the Chronotope. It's a literary device. Mm-hmm. It just means time space. Um, but it's a literary device that, um, that sort of, it, it's what we, it's the device that helps readers think about what genre a book is in, is written in. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so the easiest example is the chronotope of the road. Um, so I have a road story <laughs> here. Um, right. but yeah, so I just, that's just to answer, to respond to the, you know, olfactive dissertation piece, because mm-hmm. it kind of is, um, yeah. You know, I didn't go get a PhD after I was done with my MA and I sometimes think that I want to, but I'm like not going to do that unless I'm funded. Um, but I like. Buen Camino, can you fund this for I us? know. Hurry up. Like you damn perfume. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so in a way, Chronotope really did become kind of like my dissertation that I never got to mm-hmm. do, um, which is really geeky. Mm. Oh my God, that is so geeky. <laughs> um, but I also just sort of realized like, a certain at a certain point that like that that term and what it means for literary studies like can actually really apply here because it 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 shows like unity between stories um it's mm-hmm. the way that time and space manifests within language is what chronotope really that's what it indicates um as far as literary mm-hmm. culture goes um but the thing with time and space and stories and the reason why the chronotope really dictates like it, it is constitutive of genre is because we can think of any road story and they all have like these very similar like plot points that happen to them. Like there's, there's things that happen in Thelma and Louise that happen in like Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. Um, Mm -hmm. Like there's the wife of that literary devices along the, along the way. Right. So my, my question for you then is with Buen Camino, what is the equivalent of that moment in those narratives in, yeah, as a note for these, in Buen Camino? Um, in, yeah. in Buen Camino specifically, I think it would have to be the Band-Aids. <laughs> um, I think really the more interesting perfume to talk about that with would be intravenous um, in that there's like mm-hmm. a lymphoma note. Um, I, I, I call it swamp lily, which for those that don't know, it's a um, kind of amaryllis that grows in the swamps in uh, the south where I am in Florida. Um, and it's a poisonous lily, um, and I, it smells beautiful, but it is very poisonous and it's also called, um, the, uh, uh, poison bulb because if you eat it, it'll kill you. (laughs) Um, but it honestly, like it's sort of, I just kind of use the name of that flower poison bulb as sort of a metaphor for lymphoma because what is lymphoma, but Mm -hmm. a poison bulb that's in your body. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. the weird thing though, is that they both share a molecule. Um, and it's a molecule that we can smell, um, and it's a mercaptan. Um, and so that mercaptan is an intravenous also. Um, but again, like and what, what is mercaptan? I'm not familiar. Yeah. Mercaptan is technically a theol. Um, and theols are pretty dangerous, um, to people, but there's like tiny degree, like tiny amounts of theols, um, and merc- well, specifically mercaptans, um, in things like buku or in black currant, um, or in grapefruit, even grapefruit has, it's, it's like a sulfury, um, really, okay. really gross smelling molecule actually by itself. What um, does it smell similar to something that people might know who are listening? Yeah. It, it's the, it's like the, it's the cat piss note that you find in like black currant. 
Okay. That kind of like cassisi, like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it just smells really, it, or if you know um, the smell of like old people, like the catonic, you know, like aging, dying human body, it smells like that, mm-hmm. uh, which that ketone note is also in Buen Camino. Um, there's also kind of that aging skin, rotting flesh kind of notes in there. Um, but between all the perfumes, I think all the perfumes have something of the abject to them. Um, they all feature, I think, or what I try to feature in my perfumery is like the unwell body. I hope you guys are loving this episode. I am excited to bring you a special announcement that guess what? Smell Club is back and better than ever for the month of January. I will be posting all registration, pack and theme information in the next few days. Stay tuned if you do not follow the Perfume Room Instagram. Why not? Go follow it now. It's just Perfume Room Pod on Instagram. I will definitely be posting information there. If you are on the email list, look out for an email from me. And if you want to be on that email list, simply send me a DM to be added. Let's get back to Carter. As someone who has has smelled your fragrances, and I, I think that they're obviously incredibly complex and like really elicit a lot of thought provoking, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they are very nuanced and very specific, and they definitely do not smell like something that you would smell if you walked into Sephora or Ulta. Yeah. But with that said, <laughs> they are also beautiful. And I think, how do you manage, you know, you're, you know, speaking on a marketing sense, you're talking about <laughs> one is inspired by blisters and amoebas uh-huh. on, a, on, a, on an ailing body, losing fingernails, potentially getting gangrene. And the other is inspired by uh, the poison bulb known as lymphoma. Yeah. So how would you sell these to people of something that you also would actually want to wear? Because as someone who has tried them, I will vouch and say that they are also beautiful and very wearable. Yeah. And I think it's just that, you you know, they don't have to be any of those things either. They can just be pretty perfumes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that mm-hmm. I, I and I actually know on on your podcast, um, I think it was Josie and then um, mm-hmm. Tracy both answered mm-hmm. um Hi, Josie and Tracy. I love you. Um, <laughs> I consider them both very like good personal friends. Um, but uh, they both answered like with my perfumes for your mm-hmm. um, what's the weirdest thing you've smelled question. Yes, and, they both did. Yeah. And I think that's funny because uh, I like I, I, I kind of think it might be the stories that I tell with the perfumes less so than the perfumes themselves for like the weird mm-hmm. smell. And now I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say like what I think they should have said with that but I don't think that my perfumes if you just smell them are as far out as the stories that they tell but I do think can I can I say something like that yeah okay so when I first smelled Buen Camino I smell everything without looking at the notes good 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 and when I first smelled Buen Camino I was like this smell this reminds me it was actually so comforting and it reminded me of like the smell of like waffles and syrup mm-hmm. that I would have in like my school cafeteria growing up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is nostalgic. This is like a really sort of like maple syrupy sort of gourmand. Mm-hmm. And then I it was It kind of like, smells like reading... an IHOP. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then I was reading the description and I was like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot more to this. Yeah. But I, but yeah, my first impression was like, ooh, this is like, this is uh, an almost maple syrupy type of gourmand that I haven't smelled before. Yeah. And then- and then to come to find out that that maybe it's meant to be gauzy and not maple syrupy, you know, but yeah. it is beautiful. Yeah, no. And and I do really try to keep me like at the end of the day, the perfume has to be pretty. Like I'm not going, yeah. I, I, I do not ever plan to make anything that is just going to just be like God awful raunch, you know, um, mm-hmm. like even something like Papillon Salome, like I love that perfume. I respect that perfume. Mm-hmm. You won't ever find me wearing it. Um, or mm-hmm. um, what's Bald de Versailles, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I like raunchy perfumes. I really do. Um, but like, I don't want to smell like a perfume that is supposed to be, you know, like a whore's panties. And there's something very mm-hmm. misogynistic, I think, <laughs> about that even. Um, and so like, I, I kind of think that in a retail setting, my perfumes sort of kind of, they fit in because they're pretty perfumes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. it is that next piece when you find out what they're about. And I think part of my my goal with that is just to show that like, um, it, just to trigger that introspection and make people think a little bit harder about how like perfume can be something that makes us think it doesn't just mm-hmm. have to be, it can be something we throw on just because it's pretty and we walk out the door, you know, but I, uh, I would, I really would hate to think that every time anybody wore intravenous, they just like sit there and think about Hannah Wilkie dying of cancer. Um, right. You know, like I would hope that they also think about how it's a pretty hyacinth. One of them is even more horrific. I think the most horrific one I have is uh Silhouetta and, 
the story behind that one is that it's dedicated to Anna Mendieta, the artist whose you know husband Carl Andre, the sculptor, threw her out of a thirty-six story building, and her artwork you know looks a lot like what her body might have looked like on the ground, which is horrific. Um, and who wants to think about that, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I don't talk about that in the perfume story, but if you go look up Anna Mendieta, like yeah, that's there. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, and there is a blood note in that perfume. So mm-hmm. it is there, um, even though there's not any notes. I didn't publish any notes for that perfume just because I didn't want to mm-hmm. like trigger that, you know, I didn't want to trigger people. That's very, very, you know, femicide is no laughing matter by any means. But like perfume is a is a medium that men have made to cover up the smell of women's bodies for at least a century, probably more. But in perfume is kind of women's history during that time. Um, mm-hmm. And so like it seems kind of it seems like it would be kind of wrong for me to like make something that is, you know, even if I only tried to sell it to guys, like women are going to end up wearing it, but to make something for a woman's body that like, isn't about women would be kind of weird. <laughs> you know, but I, I guess like in, in contrast to that, like that, I, I fully agree with you on this idea of like, what, what is the, whose gaze is it for to mm-hmm. sell something that smells like, as you said, a whore's panties, mm-hmm. but with something that's, uh, I don't want to say inspired by, but mm-hmm. where, like femicide is a theme. Mm-hmm. Like how do you create something that sort of not to, I don't want to say is respectful, but like, yeah, yeah like I guess is respectful yeah. of, of what, of that story. Yeah. And I, I don't think femicide is the theme of that perfume. Femicide is just yeah. how the end of how the artist's uh, life right. ended. Yeah. Right. Um, right. You know, really what I am trying to do, not just what I do think I'm trying to do, but what I am trying to do is just to emphasize, you know, the point that like perfume is, Actually, so another perfume, Nana's, the banana perfume that I have, is um, dedicated to Elisa Herod. Um, She's a writer. She wrote a book called Coming to My Senses um, that's about her discovery um, in her mid to late 30s of how much she loved perfume and about what Mm -hmm. learning to love, like what what learning to open herself up to perfume and enjoy the scentscape and uh, the world of odors did for her connections to people. Um, And that book really kind of signaled a moment whenever I read that book, it signaled a moment whenever I was able to bridge perfumery and what I had studied before, um, which was literature in that, like she talked about how this, the same process happened to her. Um, and she realized that smell was something that was connected between people. Um, and that the more she got into perfume, the more she kind of started like getting to know herself. Um, so there's a point at the end of the book where she says like, like, I don't know that I would have ever pitched a book to you know, or have a, had a book on the market or pitched one even had I not gone through this journey of like learning to love perfume and meeting the people that I met whenever I did. And so it's a very connective field, but she, she wrote an essay once that I think is really important. Um, I think where she, she shares a really important thought, which is that like, we don't understand perfume or like the reason that perfume is not considered an art by most people mm-hmm. um, without mm-hmm. understanding that perfume equals woman. We don't understand, you know, why perfume is devalued as a craft without seeing how it's been equated to women. Like think about what cooking mm-hmm. was at one point or sewing or, you know, dressmaking, mm-hmm. anything, anything that's been a women's craft, um, or that is associated with women to a heavily degree has historically just mm-hmm. been devalued. And we know we haven't mm-hmm. really ever thought about scent very much until about 2020, even scientifically. Um, and, Part of that, I think, goes to Alyssa's point that, like, it's just it perfume equals women or scent equals women. Um, anything that's like of the body or is an, animalistic um, it, because it deals with the body or because it has such an impact on the body um, or comes from the body um, just is devalued. And it's a it's a shame. Um, but I think to tell women's stories through perfume is my way of, like, grappling with that, you know? Uh, yeah. It's, well, it's interesting, too, that you're talking about um, the, the connection to the body in fragrance, because with Silhouetta specifically, I was reading that your whole goal was to sort of disassociate yourself from the creation of the fragrance Mm -hmm. so much so that you didn't even test it on skin. Mm -hmm. And, and what, so tell me a little bit about what inspired you to do that. And I know with Silhouetta as well, you also made a conscious choice not to list the notes of the fragrance. So I would Mm -hmm. love to hear more about all of that. Yeah. Uh, so I had always like just made perfume like by dropping shit onto my onto my arms, um, mm-hmm. and don't do, been there done that. <laughs> yeah, and like don't do that. Um, I learned mm-hmm. later you shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, 
but the very first like scent that I ever blended other than my grandma's, you know, my concoctions in my grandma's bathroom, um, was whenever I was in grad school, I went on a bike ride with a boyfriend and we rode, he was wearing lavender oil and we rode through a cedar bloom. I lived in Austin at the time. Um, and I got a, I got like a whiff of the cedar pollen and his lavender at the same time. And I was like, oh, that smells like romantic. Fruit. Yeah. It was just like, it smells yeah. like fruit loops. <laughs> and so my love for fruit loops is really why I do this <laughs> because mm -hmm. I'm right. like, I called up ahead to him and I was like, we got to go to Whole Foods because <laughs> I needed to go buy like essential oils of cedar and lavender. Um, mm -hmm. and like that night I just was like pouring them out into little Dixie cups or like on my arms. And then from then on for a couple of years, I was just like pouring oils onto myself. Um, and so my practice had always been, had always been to just make them on me. Um, mm -hmm. like I made those first three, like on my knees and legs and arms and chest and everything. Um, and so like, it was always just very much about my body at that, at that point. But then like, but then like Buen Camino actually is about my body. Um, cause it's about the break, mm -hmm. like my body breaking. Um, and Playa Linda is about an ex's body. Um, and really honestly about how much I miss it, but also about how his body tasted, which like mm -hmm. maybe TMI, but like it's already out there. So who cares? Um, the only person that the only person I really don't want to hear that is my mom, but she knows by now anyway. Um, and speaking of like the taste of coins, like there's a there's a penny note in there. Um, I think I said mm. I think I call it like live copper wire, but like really it's like the okay. taste of the taste of pennies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's about my ex's body. Um, and then, uh, spite was one that wasn't really about the body that much, but spite, the name spite came. So that ex, the Playa Linda ex at one point told me that the names for the perfumes were really shitty. And that was like the last time I talked to him for like, I was just like, uh, fuck you. Um, yeah. and so that's where the name spite came from. But then the first line to my favorite novel, which is Toni Morrison's beloved says 124 was spiteful. Um, and so I kind of to plumb for like some kind of depth there beyond just like, fuck that guy. And to figure out like, how do I make a perfume out of spite? I just was looking around for like, what, you know, what could a scent be? Um, and I landed on that novel and that first line of that novel. The EDT of spite kind of reminded me of like Sophia Grossman, like if she was spiteful. Like oh, yeah. It, just, it feels sort of like a YSL Perry, like uh -huh. just like <laughs> dialed up, sugared up, like just like a, I, I don't know. I just, I really, I love that one. So, I mean, I love them all, but I think that I, I love that combo of like rose and violet and orris. And so when I smelled that one, I was like, ooh, I'm home. <laughs> Good to know. Good to, you know, that one's the one that like people don't connect with for at the first smell. A lot of people, um, I find a lot of customers coming back like a year later and mm, being like, that's so interesting. Yeah. That they'll be like the first time I smelled this, I just thought it was sweet. But then, hmm. but then over the year they've like worn my stuff and gotten to the end of the samples and it's time to buy a bottle. And then they're like, actually, yeah. but then like I was left with spite and I actually really liked it. So I kind of want that one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very vampy to me in a very, um, it's almost burlesque to me. The oh, EDT of spite. oh, I love like, that. I just, I just get like I so much that. lipstick and rouge, but in like a very like. I've never really thought of, I've never in thought like, of it in that like way, a sort but of, I love that. Like performative kind of way. And I just, I really, I really enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. I've, I've never thought of it that way at all. Um, probably because I'm thinking of it like beloved, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, I did kind of fib about that one story whenever I put it out just because I wasn't really, it was 2020 and I wasn't at a point where I was like, Shh, can I, can I say that like I made a thing inspired by Toni Morrison's beloved? I think I'm just not going to deal with that right now. Um, mm -hmm. and, and later on I've, I've, I've come out with it, um, and said that, but like, also like what better way to spite something than by saying like, oh yeah, I lied about that. <laughs> um, yeah, you're you're once again taking a page from your favorite, you know, literary authors. Yeah, I kind of because I'm not like I'm not trained or anything like that. One of, and Elisa Herod is the only person who's actually like straight up asked me this before. Um, but she like she like just one day like dead ass asked like, "Are you seeing like this work as like performance art?" Um, Hmm. And I was like, oh, actually, yeah, I am. Like, it's a it's a long, extended, like, long durational performance, basically. We're like, I'm playing the part of a perfumer. Um, and I don't think that cheapens the work any at all. I mean, I still have to actually make the perfumes and I still have to design them. Mm -hmm. um, but since I'm not trained, you know, and I think that also kind of influences sort of the way that I approached it with the autobiographical piece. Like, I couldn't, act, I wasn't actually a perfumer, but I can play one. 
Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so in that way, it kind of, I do see them also as like performative. Um, and my role as the perfumer and especially as the brand runner is just all performance Mm -hmm. based. Like I, there's nothing I hate Mm -hmm. more than running an Instagram, but I have to in order to do it. And so like Mm -hmm. the only way that I can put myself in a mindset where I say like, I'm okay, I'm going to go do it is like, okay, I'm going to perform the part now. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's sort of what the whole thing is chronotope at least. Um, like there's a new, there's a new brand now, um, Effront at Avocateur, um, that I made for, um, somebody else's company called Wellstone. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Brian Urgel. I like him a lot. I really like the work we're doing together on the perfumes there, but I feel like a perfumer in that one. But in Chronotope, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm always like just a kid standing on another kid's shoulders inside a trench coat, you know? This is, I also feel like this is just like the, a note on imposter syndrome, just yeah. like in general, you know? Totally. Um, Elisa makes this other point that a perfumer is a performance artist, not just because they have imposter syndrome like I do. Um, but because you're making a, a work that is literally performed on somebody else's body um, mm. and you need to think about, and I think this is like Elisa's just like most brilliant um, thought with her feminist argument about how, you know, perfume is devalued because of it's uh, because of its association with women and because of right. it, it basically telling women's history um, or it being in, you know, you look at perfume history, you're looking at women's history. You're not looking at men's history. You're not looking at the history of wars. You're looking at like, oh, what were women wearing in whatever era? Um, mm-hmm. But like, and I think I think I like this piece that she says about performance art because it gives me kind of the ethical argument um, for like, if I'm going to make perfume, you know, something that's for somebody else's body, you know, how do I do that? Or something that represents somebody else's body? How do I do that ethically? Um, and it's just to remember that like, my work isn't only for my body, it's for other people's bodies. And it is going to, Mm -hmm. it's going to be enacted on their body. Um, Mm -hmm. And in that case, they become just the site of performance. And so like, there's something beautiful and a little bit dehumanizing there about how, Mm -hmm. like thinking about my customers is like the site of a performance for my work. Mm -hmm. Um, However, like that's as, that's as dehumanizing as I can go with it. Like, Right. Everything else then has to be like constructive. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, actually, I think that ties really well. I was, you know, reading, reading up on you and I saw a quote that you put on your website. Um, that was one of the ending lines of Susan Sontag's short story, mm. The Way We Live Now. And yeah. I feel like that is such a full circle of what you were just saying. And I'm just going to read it. What what you put on your website this quote, the difference between a story and a painting or photograph is that in a story you can write, he's still alive, but in a painting or photo, you can't show still, you can just show him being alive. And so if you think about your work being on somebody else's body, Mm -hmm. is perfume a story? Oh, that's a question for me. (laughs) Um, is perfume a story? Um, is it still alive? Is it, is it alive? uh, God, that's, I wish I could answer that. Um, like that's the reason I made intravenous really was kind of to think about that question. Um, you know, or is, is she still alive? So after I made spite EDP, which was my fourth perfume, my mom and my brother, as I was making it, my grandmother died. And then when I, when I put it out, my mom and my brother both said it smelled like my grandmother. Um, mm-hmm. and I never thought it smelled like my, like my grandmother until they said that. And then it's like right at the very beginning of it, I get like just this like smallest little bit of, there she is. Um, Mm. I don't think that perfume is a story in itself. I do think that perfume allows people to have something tangible that they can root stories around. Um, and I think that Mm. no matter what the story that I tell for my perfume is like, they're all going to change once they're out in the world and people are going to attach their own stories to them. Um, what I said earlier, it's all a game of telephone, right? Yeah. Once it's on somebody else. Yeah. And like what I can do is maybe influence like the tone of that story possibly. Um, you know, like, and I, I would honestly, be, I'd be thrilled if nobody thought about my broken feet whenever they smell Buen Camino, you know? I think, I do think of like French toast sticks and waffles and syrup. Yeah. So I will continue having those beautiful yeah. gourmand thoughts. Yeah. And I also like, don't have any, I like, I don't, because of how dense the stories are, like, I really don't have any reserve or I don't have any, like, I like, I'm not going to go to like a retail outlet and like train their sales associates in like, no, you have to tell the story of my pilgrimage, you know, like, right, no, right, like right. they're going to end up saying it smells like waffles and that's, right. and that's fine with me, you know? Um, 
the net. Okay. And then if people wonder about like, well, why is it called Buen Camino? Then they can go find out and then maybe have a moment to introspect a little bit harder. But right. otherwise, right. like, no. So we have one final segment of the show. Okay, Carter, this has been so fun. And I just realized we've been talking for so okay. long and I yeah. I could talk for I, even longer. I ramble, but I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this has been this has been such a great conversation, such a great way to start off 2023. It is. So the final segment of the show is mm, what's that smell? I will throw out people, places, concepts, whatever, and you just tell me the first smell that comes to your mind. And any follow-up questions, the answer is yes, because there are no rules. Are you ready okay. to play? What's that smell? Yeah. Okay. Carter, what is the smell of Orlando? Highway dust. There's a lot of highways here. Yeah. Okay. Or like Dis- or like Disney Mouse being killed. Yeah. Okay. Whatever that smells like. <laughs> Whatever that smells like. Just like the death of Disney. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what is the smell of your childhood home? Pine. Pine and ladybugs. I'm sorry. Pine and ladybugs. What is the smell of your first kiss? Ectoplasm high C drink. Like the Wait, what? Oh, like high C like Yeah, the, like hi, the high C the drink. Juice box? Yeah, cuz we Oh my god, high C. We, we've well, been like sip- about that in a minute. No, we had like had those. Um I was like 5. Cute. <laughs> yeah. Cute. Okay. Um what is the smell of love? Mm, probably like Oh god. Skin? Yeah, the mm. a sweat on skin after a day at the beach. Or dirty okay. hair. Dirty hair. Dirty hair. Okay. There's some of that going on in Playa Linda, yeah, I think. That one yeah. Def- that, okay. that one's definitely about love. <laughs> mm, I love it. Okay. And the final question. What is the smell of Carter Weeks Maddox? Hmm. I get told I smell like patchouli a lot. Like just in, by guys and stuff. Yeah. Um, apparently I smell like patchouli. So yeah. I think it's because I'm putting so much patchouli on me to make perfumes all the time. Because I do still work on my skin. Well, Carter, it has been so amazing chatting with you. For everybody listening who is now interested in experiencing Chronotope for themselves, how can they do that and where should they do that? Uh, yeah, you can get sample sets of my work at chronotopeperfume.com. That it is C-H-R-O-N-O-T-O-P-E-perfume.com. Um, or um, the American Perfumer just started carrying my work. And hopefully this year I'll get into even more retail. We'll see. Awesome. And where can people follow you on social media since you love it so much? Oh, yeah. My favorite place in the world is Instagram. And on Instagram, (laughs) you can follow me at chronotope underscore perfume. Cool. And then the last thing I just want to plug or ask you about is you also offer um, these flight salons, which are essentially these courses where you talk about the formulas in your fragrances and go through each of them individually. Is that if you want to just do like a 30 second plug of what that is and if there are any coming up? Formula flights are uh, sniffing flights of maybe five to seven raw materials. Um, Sometimes they're based around the perfumes that I have. Sometimes they're based around like scent families. Um, But it's just a way for the average perfume user to access raw materials because that's really hard to do um, Mm -hmm. as the average user. And because it's surprising once you smell the raw material, um, like you don't think it's, you think it smells like one thing, but it actually smells like another thing. Um, And it's cost prohibitive to do so. So I'll send you like a half milliliter of five to seven materials in a flight. Um, And then I host these things where I call them salons, where we talk about our experience just with sniffing those things and what they remind us of. And we get into, you know, how they smell like, you know, the time we were sick in Spain for example. Cool. Yeah. That's amazing. For, it's kind of like what I do at Smell Club, but for raw materials. Basically. So, yeah. Yeah. Basically. Very cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, Carter, it has been an absolute joy. So fun. Time has flown by. Yeah. And thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Coming on the Perfume Room. Perfume Room is edited by Wyatt Peak. Music is by Max Vernon and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. 